Episode 36 of Gaming and BS, sponsored by DarkTheater.net, home of the character Folio. Welcome to Gaming and BS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. This is a podcast where Brett and I talk about gaming podcast, gaming podcast, gaming, RPG, tabletop gaming, and other topics of geekery. Thanks for tuning in. We do also talk about other podcasts. They tend to be gaming podcasts, but we do indeed talk about them. We do indeed. So announcements. What is this stuff? Well, apparently, I was I heard a rumor on the interwebs it was being um, some slander or perhaps libel, depending. I haven't seen it in writing. I've only heard it out loud, so it's slander then. That uh, you and I are part of some Canadian Brotherhood of Spies. Um, I'd looked into it a little bit more. All the data we have has been redacted, so I'm really not sure what the, what the deal is there. But uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Christopher Sneezak seems to think that we're in cahoots with uh, Mo Tusano. I just... Uh, well, set the record straight there and say that may or may not be true. I cannot con- neither confirm nor deny. Nor that. deny exactly. So watch your ass, Sneezak. Phil, Phil, you're all right, man. You're all right, Phil. You're, Phil's uh, so playing, far, but he's playing Switzerland over there. I like that. Yeah, he is a little bit, which means you got to watch him. He could spring on you at any moment. The other one we've got <clears throat> is a bit of news from Gamehole. I see that our buddies over there, we've got yet another special guest. They've got Peter Atkinson who will be joining them. He's the uh, owner of Gen Con and the former CEO of Wizards of the Coast. So I'm assuming anybody out there who's a gamer has probably heard of Peter at some point in time. But he's going to be there. So the show just keeps getting bigger and drawing more and more attention I'm inter- from uh, different folks. So that's pretty cool. I'm interested to know um, what Peter will be running at Gary Con- uh, Gamehole Con. Because there's no such thing as a special guest at Gamehole who doesn't run a game. That's right. He must run. He must run a game. And you you can't sit in your hotel. Now, Peter was at GaryCon. I saw him maybe twice, tops, the whole con. Now, I don't know when he got there. I don't know when he left. But a day went by, and at the end of the day, I was in the tavern part of um, GaryCon. Big shocker. Um, You know, that's where I like to wind down from my day of gaming. And he, he entered, and the guy said a couple words to him, and that was about it. Like, hey, glad you could make it, and and that was it. And then I had I think Mr. Him. Atkinson's people actually uh, check your itinerary, and then they just kind of make sure that they circumvent wherever it is that you're going to be. Ever since you, ever since those letters and the cat's head you sent him, you know, it kind of he, – he's a little touchy, I think. Whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, every, everybody wants a boiled cat's head. Why not? Right. Right. Yeah, boiled cat's head. So in seriousness, though, it's cool that when <clears throat> we've said this before and we just said it again, but the fact that when you're a special guest at Gamehole, you're going to run a game. Now, granted, guys like Ed Greenwood, um, Steve Jackson's going to be there. He's going to be running stuff. Those games are going to fill up fast, but it's still really freaking cool. And they're out and around all the time. They um, they make sure that the guests are there and available so you can bump into them, talk to them. They've got the you know, it's just, re- it's really cool. It's a good setup. Yeah. So yeah, Peter Atkinson, uh, no slouch in the gaming world. He'll be there. No he's slouch at his, all. He's got his own things going on too. I think he's trying to break into the YouTube, um, arena with, I think he's got a, well, at least one series. I don't know how it's doing, but I think Jen Page was involved in that. If you don't know Jen Page, she was in the, uh, gamers, darkness rising in the gamer series, and she is also with um, Roan Barton and Ron. I think she was helping Ron uh, GM, Iron GM. Okay. But she, yeah. Yeah. So she, and then I think she tried to do something with Monty, um, mm-hmm. like the, uh, the, 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 it's kind of. Geek ex- Seekers? Yes. Geek Seekers, yeah. They something did that. like that, yeah. So YouTube thing. All right. Awesome. Is that all we have for announcements? That's all I've got there. All right. Let's get in. To random encounter, random encounter where we field emails, voicemails, uh, comments from social media from you, Mister or Mrs. Listener. Phil V claims that 
He knows who Stray Geologist is. He's a good friend of Chris Nizak's and mine. I think this is actually a counterintelligence operative of the misdirected Mark team. We need to be careful. I suppose you, I should have let you write. Like, no, that, that's okay. I mean, that, that, that was it, right? That. I mean, yeah, but, but Vecchio said, hey, you know, because last episode we talked about the Stray Geologist and uh, one of our other listeners said, hey, maybe they're the same person. And Vecchio was like, no, 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 I know who he is. But he won't He won't tell us actually who it is, only that he knows him. He's a friend. So I'm assuming it's some crazy counterintelligence operative that they're flailing away trying to, trying to get one up on us. Not going to happen, but, you know, they're welcome to try. And that's okay. And, and thanks, Stray Geologist and everybody over at Misdirected as well. Thanks, Jason L. Morris, for iTunes review. Appreciate that. Much, Absolutely. Much happiness there. Um, Jeff Rademacher, now I say Rademacher, it could be Rademacher, he emails, Hi guys, been listening for a few months and have loved everything. I wanted to email about a couple of topics. First, I'm coming back into gaming after dabbling in it during high school. I'm now 41 with a wife and a couple of kids, the oldest of which is interested in getting into RPGs as well. The problem is that I feel like there's an impenetrable degree of entry. Part of it's intimidation. Part of it is ignorance. Do you have any thoughts on how newbies can get involved? Also, what kind kinds of things did you introduce to your family as they had started gaming Brett? Also, I'm not real familiar with all the good gaming podcasts available. Do you have some favorites that you can share? Thanks. First of all, thanks, Jeff, for writing into the show. Absolutely. I will let Brett handle obvious the obvious one, which is the family piece, because he's running games with his children. Yeah, with the kids. Um, so the go cool around, thing, go around, children. Get around, children. Um, so <laughs> both of my boys and my youngest daughter and my wife, when she likes to play, like the fantasy settings. They like the Tolkien esque type of thing, D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever you can do <clears throat> in that arena. So. What I did was I found out what they like to do and the types of things that they wanted to uh, – type of thing they wanted to play. AG wanted to play dwarves and hobbits and that type of stuff. So it was pretty simple to get into. The biggest piece I did, uh, Jeff, was I cut back on the introduction of certain rules. Fight mechanics, we got to be able to fight. I moved it quickly. Um, and when it came to, down to skill checks or anything along those lines, I just went as fast as I could. 5e, the more I've read and I've played it a couple times now, that is a really fast system. And it, even if when I uh, I played like Pathfinder at one point with my son, Connor, and even when he was trying to do some things that were, I would say, hey, we'd have to look this up or make this roll or it got a little, what I would say, more complicated from a rules perspective. Hey, you technically can't do that in this scenario because of whatever. I hand waved a number of different things and let them do cool heroic actions. Let them climb walls, perhaps when they shouldn't have, or um, you know, do a tumbling flip or whatever the case is, just to try to make it um, fun, as much fun as humanly possible for them while they're there. Yeah, there was always life and death and so on. And um, I gave them, I played NPCs with adventuring with them, and instead of killing <laughs> my kids' characters, I killed my character because I don't give a shit about the NPCs, right? So that w- could help instill the fear of death when they were shocked and dismayed when my character died. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that's terrible. And then I was able to show my boys, not a big deal. I can always make a new character, try to help them understand that aspect of it. You know, you can get involved in a character. It could still die. Um, but I think the the most important piece for me to drop down the high degree of entry is to make sure that's not intimidating at all. You know, talk about what do you want to do? I want to do this thing. What do I have to do to, to uh, make that happen? Give me a roll of 17 or above and you make it. Give And add a, add your strength because you're doing a strength thing. Or give me a dex or give me a wisdom check. Simple things like that. They're very easy to look at on a character sheet and find and um, repeatable for the, uh, for the group there. And then as the kids get more into it and they want to do more and different things, you can start to show them, hey, there's a lot more rules if you want to do that or we can keep doing what we're doing. Again, as Sean and I have said many times, there's no gaming police that are going to show up and say you're playing Pathfinder wrong or whatever else. So my advice is I try to make it as simple as possible, and that really sung, uh, sung good for my kids. They liked it, and um, I had them doing things that they wanted to be able to do. They wanted to find a dragon. They wanted to find orcs and giants and things like that. So I made it so that they could head in that direction and gave them magic items and cool stuff because that's always fun to have too. Yeah, that's good stuff. And and we don't know his we don't know the age of his oldest, but uh, I would imagine maybe ten, 
teenage, maybe early teenage. One forty-two, and you know my oldest kid is twenty. So I mean, depending on where, depending on what he's got. Yeah, I wouldn't. But my youngest son is nine, and he and he played uh, a couple years ago. He started playing with me, and my daughter Alana is going to be. She's in first grade, so she's seven, right? She'll be eight in July. So, but anyway, it's it's not like you can't do it with younger kids. So Jeff, from a guy who has no kids and owns a lot of animals, here's the advice from me. If you you are a dad, lots right? of kitty treats, lots uh, of kitty no, treats. No, 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 no. Go down, go get yourself. Go get yourself some kibbles and bits. No, that's the best thing to do. <laughs> Roll up newspaper, whack them on the nose when they do it wrong. You, the face of the the dice. thing is, is that you got you're leaving, you're you're not giving yourself enough credit. One is Absolutely. that you have kids, right? I don't. So one thing that you can relate to with kids is you probably had story time when they were younger. The only difference between that and now is you are going to let them partake in how the story rolls. So just who gives a shit on some of the nuances? Don't get intimidated, man. They're not going to know whether you know the rules or not. Folks that get hung up on that stuff, just don't, okay? That doesn't even, that's not Jeff either, just in general. But, you know, if you get something like, something you're familiar with, that's kind of easy and simple for you just to kind of run, uh, five E is a good one. Even the old expert and basic said, I don't know how much stuff you played when you were younger, but that stuff's still around. You can get it on PDF, whip it out, make some people, you know, and help them out. Explain to them what the abilities are. And then just start telling them their story with their characters in it and let them kind of dictate how things flow. Instead of reading a book, you know, from start to finish, you're going to let them kind of do the th- their thing and then just interact with them. They'll, I'm sure, eat eat it up to no end. We talked about this in an earlier episode. Um, one of the things to do is that if the kids play video games, if they played Diablo, if they played anything online, like World of Warcraft, they see that or they understand it, the concept of what's my quest, how do I do a thing, I want to be able to go on in, on a mission type of thing. If that's something that they're very used to, you can uh, hook into that. Say, hey, okay, you guys are together. I'm going to send you on a mission. I've got this mission for you to go on. Okay, great. And off they go. And sometimes people get stuck when they don't have a thing to accomplish, especially when you're kids. So if you give them a thing to do right out of the gate, then they explore and start poking around and, and digging through you know, piles of, <laughs> piles of rubble looking for treasure and various, other, and various other things too. So I think what Sean's saying though is dead on. It's got to be fun. And your kids, uh, probably much like my kids and anybody else who's learning how, they are not going to judge you on how well you implemented the rules. They're going to judge you on did they have a good time. And if you get done and they say, hey, that was – did you like it? Oh, that was fun. Can we play tomorrow? Can we keep going? Oh, I got to go to bed. This sucks. That's <laughs> that, That's the sign you're looking for is that they want to do it again or they want to keep it going. That means you're having fun and you're rolling with it and the complexity and the cooler mechanics of – X, Y, and Z, and special grappling rules or trip rules, whatever you don't, you just. Uh, my perspective: hand wave that, hand wave that at the beginning, and uh, get into the story, the fun aspects of it, and then as time goes on, sure, just start adding some crunch to it. You don't have to. Yeah, not out of the gate. Hey, no, but uh, and another thing you have to do because we've given you free advice is you have to write back in and let us know what you're going to do and how it went. Absolutely. Just, I want to hear. Yeah. Let us know for sure, man, because we'll share it with the rest. Because who knows who, who else is out there that got away from gaming and wants to do something like that. They just haven't asked. So we'd be interested to find out like what game you decided to play and why and uh, how you kind of rolled it out to the kids and how the first adventure went. So let us know. Now, yeah, Jeff, Jeff, hit me up on uh, Google Plus, too. I mean, if you find us on our Google Plus page, uh, shout out to me. I'll be more than happy to talk to you offline from here or anywhere else one-on-one if you want. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, as far as gaming podcasts, so uh, I'll give you a few that are in my catcher at the moment. Uh, Misdirected Mark, we'll, we'll put that at the top at least because we give them a lot of credit because they give a lot of credit to us. They're similar. They're probably a little bit more. Um, they're explicit. We're explicit, but they don't probably get on the fringe <clears throat> as we do. They're a little bit more structured. They go into some of the real nuances of some of the games. But Chris and Phil have a good uh, chemistry between the two of them. And Phil's got some good publishing cred. And, and Chris is working on something with Phil as well. So I would give those guys some props. Oh, um, they, when you talk about people that know what they're talking about and how games and mechanics can help you have fun and all that stuff, I really – I appreciate their point of view a lot. I think they're I think they're sharp dudes. And if they stuff. take a jab at us on the air, got, you know, you gotta let us let know. Us let, know us let us know, and we will definitely put them in check. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Other ones uh, that have been around for quite a while is Happy Jacks. They're explicit. They get a little raunchier, um, but they're like more of an email fielding type of podcast is their kind of format. Um, And they sometimes can go like two hours an episode. Uh, I like Stu. He's part of like a, a, like a band. They do like some of the, I don't know what kind of music it's called, but like the, the boggards. But at the end, he puts in original music that they have recorded, which I kind of enjoy. Um, and they're, they do tend to touch a few different games. Savage Worlds is one of them. And then I think uh, Jib, Savage Worlds, one of the other guys is like, I think uh, Stu is like a GURPS guy. And then there's another one that's, so they've got like a cast of people that kind of rotate. Fear the Boots been around for quite some time. Chris Hussey was is on and off that show. Dan moderate, moderates that. They've been around probably the, one of the longest running role playing games. They are not explicit. They're family friendly. They're not game specific. They just kind of covered lots of different things. Uh, let's see what else. One Shot is another one that I like because they do like uh, one game and they run three episodes or four episodes that are about an hour, and they run you know. I've heard them do Feng Shui. Um, I've heard them do Star Wars D20. I've heard them do uh, Edge of the Empire. I've heard them do Knights Black Agents. And they really do it really well. They're really good role players. They have good GMs. Sometimes they'll even put in some, um, like when they did Edge of the Empire and when somebody was playing a droid, they did all the beeps and bloops for the droid. So that's a good one if you like that, a little bit more entertaining. There's a, there's a butt ton of them out there. Brett, you want to name about two or three years? They, um, I, I do drink spin around and listen to those guys. And I've also got Ken and Robin. Those are the, uh, those are the main ones I grab. I haven't, I've got a couple others queued up. Happy Jacks. I've got a few in there. I just haven't gotten to them. Dude, what do you, what do you, you got an hour, you got a two hour drive every day. What are you listening to on your ride in? Me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I talk <laughs> I to myself. Us. I just right. listen to us all the time. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, actually I've been doing a lot of uh, audiobooks as of late, oh, but okay. I've got a couple more of those I'm going to punch, punch through, and then I'm going to go back to my uh, my podcast. So oh, that makes sense because audiobooks will definitely put a kink in the old podcast backlog. Yep. All right, um, Carl Carl Pinder on G Plus episode thirty four regarding time. Although I couldn't find a good sample online, Harnmaster included a journal page that was six columns representing the watches. Each day is divided into six four hour watches and 30 rows for days of the month. In each grid cell, you could excuse me, you could simply make a note of what happened during that watch. Oh my gosh, I got the burps from from the burr I'm drinking, sorry. Harnmaster, being what it is, the journal page is frequently filled in with travel days and resting and healing. Over two decade signs later though, I can tell still tell you that it was two days travel east from the capital city of Coronan to the Earthmaster's settlement. I know that on the third watch on the 29th day of Nolus in the year 1568, we were ambushed by gargans outside the smoking ruins of a farmhouse and so on. Having, sim- having simple organized notes to refer to is irreplaceable. The bookkeeping is also low impact. One player usually keeps track of the journal with simple notes. You can reconstruct the history with very few data points. In the example of traveling from Coronan, one entry was departed Cornan. This was followed by a series of entries that were some variation of uneventful or set camp. Two days later is an entry arrived Earthmasters settlement. That the time at the beginning of the table, eh, the time at the gaming table for those two days was probably no more than 30 minutes, but it accurately reflected the in-game passage of time. Very cool. One of the things I did that was similar to that was when I ran my Book Hounds of London game, which is a um, a setting for Trail of Cthulhu, I decided because it was a book setting, I went out and bought a blank book, and I gave it to the – and I put in a bunch of notes up front. I gave it to the group, and I said, you guys, this is for you to take notes for the entire group. I expect somebody to be putting in notes of what's going on. Somebody's the scribe each session. They went, okay, cool, that, that sounds neat. And then they passed it from person to person to person. I think I talked about this in a number of podcasts back, but it was really cool just to see everybody's take on those notes. Some people did um, pictures and graphs and mind maps. A buddy of mine, Seth, went through and was pretty much line by line. Set. So Brett said this. I said this. Tabby said that. Lenny said this. It was very bam, bam, bam. But it was just interesting to see it. And then at the start of every session, I'd pass it out, and the group would start combing through it. And somebody would say, shit, didn't we do that two sessions ago? 
or what what was that thing? They'd look at me expectantly and I would say, check your notes. And then they would tear through it and it became a uh, a prop that they had to use to uh, keep track of things as a group together. It was really cool. Very cool. And we talked about time and when you do something like this and you've got that memory that Carl has where he knows that it takes two days travel east from the capital city to the Earthmaster settlement, that's cool. The world's alive at that point. You know it and it's uh, that's really cool. I like that stuff. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for writing in and let us know, Carl. Good stuff. Absolutely. Man. All right, let's go uh, quick uh, get a word from uh, our buddy. Michael Althauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors. You name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order at the website grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. All right, Brett, as usual, we let you introduce the topic of O discussion. Yeah, so I'm going to do, I'm going to steal one. This is uh, where the spy, uh, uh, the spy network comes in handy because the guys over at Misdirected Mark, uh, Vecchione was talking about the Immortal set for basic D&D that Frank Metzner did. And he and I had a little back and forth on, <clears throat> on their Google Plus page uh, around, around that. And I thought, you know, one of the things that Sean and I have bantered back and forth on a few times is the whole epic and high-level campaigns or games. And – I think Sean and I have, and we'll probably find out that we don't, but I start at the beginning, go, oh, yeah, I think I know what epic means. I think I know what high level means. And do you like it? Do you not like it? And I started to think about it, and I'm like, you know, I don't like, I think I like epic games, but I don't necessarily like high level games, especially when we're talking a D&D type setting where it's definitely leveled. Or even if you're playing GURPS or a point-based system, when you have somebody who's got an obscene number of build points for their character where they're... Um, near godlike or something along those lines. So I thought, you know, Sean and I kind of dig into this one a little bit and see what we see what we think on it. So Sean, if I said, "Hey, I'm going to run a fantasy game, forget the system. I'm going to run a fantasy setting and it's going to be epic. It's going to be epic style game." What 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 comes to your mind when you hear epic? Like a uh, surfer guy uh, talking about how awesome something's going to be. It's going to be uh, epic. Dude, that's dude, epic. It's too epic, man. It's too right, so totally epic. I don't invite Sean back to the game. I go to the next guy. What would the next guy say, Sean? <laughs> um, he'd say, yeah, um, help, help, help. What's that mean, man? Help a brother out. What's epic? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Does that mean like, <laughs> like I'm a see, god? To me, see, to me, epic means that it is a Lord of the Rings, a um, Wheel of Time type of thing. You may start off as a plebe and work your way to be king of the land or ultimate sorcerer, whatever. But there is this massive, world-changing, save the earth, save the country, save the land type of event that's going to go on. Save the cheerleader. Save the cheerleader, yeah. Where if I'm going to do something like, hey, I'm going through, um, what do I want to say, keeping the borderlands to uh, p- pick on that old dungeon. That's not really an epic level type of thing. It's not, not even level from, again, <clears throat> I'm not, I don't even care about what level character you are, how many points your character has, but it's a very small thing. You're helping out a small location or group of folks take care of something. I'm not saving the entire realm. I'm not saving the, all of Cormier from some horrible invasion. I'm not, you know, defeating the giants that took over the duchy of Jeff and Greyhawk. I am just going from adventure to adventure leveling up or whatever the case is. So that's what Epic, if I were to say I'm going to run an Epic game or, hey, this game has is Epic in scope, I think about the story elements that go into it and how it's going to lay out. I don't necessarily think about it as a, by the end of this adventure, you'll all be 20th level. That, that's, you know, maybe, maybe not, but it's more along the lines of you're going to do something massive. You will be noted in the history books as the man or the woman who defeated the dragon god or something along those lines. Does that jive with what you think is epic, Sean? Yes, Brett, it does. It, uh, it starts somewhere, though. Got to start out with uh, baby steps. Are you going to start out in the epic camp? Will you start out an epic campaign? Just like, hey, okay, everybody's going to start out at 10th level because that's where I'm running epic. Or are you going to run them through the, I'm going to start at first level and then you're going to go to like 30th. See, I think that that's where epic and high level gaming then kind of come 
where they'd start to collide a little bit because the next question is, okay, so you're going to run an Epic game. Does that mean do I have to start off as the first level freaking farmer, work my way up to Paladin Hood and finally get the castle so I can actually save the kingdom? Or can I just cut through all the bullshit and start off as a 10th level Paladin with a goddamn castle so I can go save the kingdom? Or are you saying, Brett, that we're only going to take our 20th level characters here or whatever? So I think... For me, Epic doesn't have anything to do with the level of the points of your character. It has to do with the story only. If you talk high-level gaming, though, I think that's a totally different thing. Oh, there's a difference. I think so. Okay. See, I sometimes and, equate high-level gaming with Epic gaming. I, I am obviously wrong. Yeah. Got that, everybody? If it you, makes me... If you confuse Epic-level gaming with high-level gaming, you're, you're wrong. wrong. Well, at least every – how about this? Every time you guys notice that Sean is wrong, take a drink. So we'll see. What, yeah, we'll see, let's we'll see where see this goes. Hammer, we'll see how hammered last, you get by hey, the end of this episode. Everybody would have came out sober as a judge last week because I was right a few times. I know. I still have – have this shoulder still aches from that one. I don't yeah. know what the hell the deal is there. My left side keeps going numb every time you t- you're right. But I anyway. Only, I've only played in one, ep- one epic game, kind of. And it was – we did start out at low level. Uh, it was Pathfinder, and my buddy Doc whipped out Mythic Rules. So that was when you hit a certain point? You kind of transformed? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I want to say around 10th, between like in uh, right around 13th level maybe, we, we ended up whipping out Mythic. So if you're not familiar with Pathfinder, there's a Mythic splat book. I can't remember what it's called, Mythic Adventures or something like that. So then it kind of takes what you already have and you start adding mythic powers and then it's almost like you have mythic feats. So, yeah, it's... That's uh, kind of, I remember, because back in the day when my when I was in high school and stuff, you would parse through the deities and demigods trying to see what it would take to kill Thor or, hey, I want to go fight Orcus so I can get his wand or I want to kill Demogorgon or something. You know, you would get these Monty Hall campaigns you'd have, you know, be five plus five Holy Avengers in the group, Paladins all over the place, high-level assassins. What freaking game are you playing, man? I never played crazy that high, shit. Crazy high school stuff, man. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Things but, were out of control. They absolutely were. But um, then I see, like, my son, Connor, when he started tearing through my Adidas and Demigods, he's like, oh, wow, this God's tougher than that one. Who would win? I'm like, yeah, see, that's where it starts. It all happens. But anyway, what I, I guess where I'm going is that, to me, epic doesn't have to mean high level. I mean, I look at – you can have a mishmash of characters. We can talk I – mean, I don't even want to talk game balance right now because that's just a different discussion. Ooh. We've already covered that a couple times. But anyway, the point is is that I think – my point anyway is that if you you know save the kingdom, even if that means you're a scullery maid and you – by hook and by crook and you do this, that and whatnot and you – Turn things around to get the king to go to war with the right people he's supposed to, and therefore he averts this massive crisis. Good. I think what people often think, <clears throat> I think what people think, I believe some people find high level gaming and epic to be connected because what they want to be able to do is epic stuff. And by epic stuff, I want to be able to be, you know, uh, the Hulk. I want to be able to be Molecule Man where I just pick up a goddamn mountain range and throw it on somebody. I want to be able to blast or fight the Tarrasque. I want to be able to do battle or be a demigod. I want to have these massive epic powers where I can do all this crazy superhero, crazy insanity type shit. And I think that to me, that's high level gaming and not epic gaming. Epic gaming is the story. High level gaming is the volume of power that you as a character are able to wield on the table. Yeah. But isn't everybody playing fantasy role-playing games to be epic? No. They're not? No. Not your group, anyway. No, my group, which is awesome, by the way, just in case I haven't said that before. You guys, no, but- are, you guys are awesome, but it kind of pisses me off because <laughs> like, Fred thinks you're the poster child for our role-playing game groups. So what I want to say, though, is like when, when, you, went to, when you went to GaryCon, you're playing in that, um, that Cold War spy game that yeah. Tachi did. That was not high-level... I wouldn't even consider that an epic adventure. You were trying to do a specific thing. There's a mole in an agency. You're trying to sort that out. It's not the same thing. Oh, he's giving me the timeout. I'm giving you the big T, man. Timeout, brah. 
because you're, you're going down a rabbit hole. I'm mm-hmm. talking fantasy, not all that other stuff. I'm talking total fantasy, fantasy, total fantasy or sword sorcery. I think that when people play that, they are looking for epic. Not not, not everybody, but I think that that genre leads to dungeon crawl classics. Yeah, sure. You go in, you pick up a dungeon crawl classics adventure. Yeah. I I don't know of one that is a Kingmaker series. I don't know of one that is save the entire realm. You, they seem to you, be. You, you, am I you, missing them? You make it happen, man. Well, you can make it happen. I mean, but are, we gonna, are we going to slice it to pre-published versus non-pre-published adventures? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that... Put the smack down <clears throat> on this guy right now. <laughs> oh, oh, he's going to throw down now. Hmm. So I, what I'm saying, though, is that... How do I want to do this? So Dungeon Crawl Classics, for example, they put out an adventure. That's the type of thing that that game likes to uh, say is the the type of fun that they that they're built for. I have not talked to anybody online I've seen who do Dungeon Crawl Classics type adventures and kind of the gritty um gaming like uh, Blades in the Dark. If you uh, have checked out the Blades in the Dark thing at all, that's not it's epic in a way, but it's very small. It's very your little bitty group. I mean, if you're doing Jason Bourne with swords and sorcery, it's still one man against a very small group of people. It's not He's not saving the world. He's not saving anything on an epic scale. It's a really cool adventure. It's high high action, a lot of cool stuff, but there's no epic in that, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and Dungeon Crawl Classics doesn't start out epic at all. I mean, everybody's like a baker or a gardener. Yeah, you're some guy with sound, a rolling pin sound and like a, a pitchfork. <laughs> sound familiar? Gardener. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But I do think that, well, you don't have to. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way, and nobody has to play it that way. And if you're not, you're not wrong. But I just no. think that a lot of how fantasy role-playing games have always kind of been in RPGs, and it's, I mean, let's face it, Dungeons & Dragons is kind of the granddaddy of them I all. I think there have been about level climbing more than they are epic adventures or epic stories. <clears throat> if you look at if you look at like um Temple of Elemental Evil, that's a big goddamn deal. You yeah. look at um Tomb of Horrors, big goddamn deal, only it's very small. It is not epic. Yeah, it's high level. It's nasty ass shit. It's a demolition for Christ's sake and you're going to get fucking killed cuz it's a death trap. It became an epic story adventure of high level gaming. When they released the box set back at, I think, the 25th anniversary, but the return to the Tomb of Horrors became this thing where the Demi-Lich Aserach actually is trying to take over this Demi-Plane of Dread and kind of envelop, if you will, the entire negative material plane. To be, God, I'm going totally nerd, nerding out right now. Wow. But anyway, that went, that went to – it took that adventure and made it epic because now if you don't stop this Demolich from doing this thing, it will get much worse throughout all the realms and blah, blah, blah. That's an epic adventure. Yeah. Going to the going to the Tomb of Horrors and getting your ass kicked by, you know, rooms that crush you flat and other shit that, that tries to kill you left or right, that's not an epic storyline. It's tough. It's high-level gaming because you got to be tough, got to have a fuckload of hit points and spells and tricks and whatnot to get your way through, but it's not epic. <laughs> Wait, wait, uh, Wayne's got Wayne's saying, hold on a second. He's got a question. Hold on a second. Yeah, see. So he 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 was talking about what is the Wayne? Yeah. So he's ta- he asks like epic when you're talking because he's sitting here listening to this crap and he's just bu- chomping at the bit to chime in. So he's so what epic, right? Yeah. Yes, you go to the dungeon. Yes, it's not very epic. You're dungeon crawling, and, and it starts out as kind of this shitty freaking, you know, it's an adventure. Yeah, we're going to go there, and we're going to freaking deliver supplies to some place. And in the interim, all of a sudden, shit hits the fan, and all of a sudden, it's this big, huge, like, um, conspiracy of this group that wants to take over the world and in order to do so they kidnap the people that you're delivering supplies for and then you get kind of pulled into that so yeah i think a lot of fantasy role-playing games doesn't they don't start out as epic um some do some get hey the king pulls you in and says hey we need you to go find the rod of seven parts because if without it, somebody's going to open a portal to the big bad world and they're going to invade us and it's all going to be shit hitting the fan and it's going to be crazy. 
So I do think, like, even when you said, Tomb of Horrors, going through a dungeon crawl, not a big deal. Yeah. But if you find something in there, like, I don't know, a ring and some goofy little smarmy dude who's been warped by it, whoa, shit. Oh, oh, shit. That it's sounds like a good idea for a trilogy of novels. Hang on a second. <laughs> let me let me crib this down. Jeez, I'm, I'm on this, guys. Totally I don't, on. Brett cannot deny the shit I'm talking about right now. No way. So <clears throat> what I'm getting at, though, is I don't – so. Let me throw this out there. I don't necessarily like in a level-based system or actually any even it's point-based or whatever it is. There's a certain plateau I hit with player or excuse me, characters that I'm done in a D20, F20 type of scenario after about 10th level to 15th. I don't want to go any higher than that. It's just it's annoying. It The power level, the high level, the power at that point, I don't need that to run an epic storyline. Play DCC, so, man. You're epic at fifth level. Oh, absolutely. So what what I'm saying is that you can run. So <clears throat> what I'm trying to get across here is that what I don't. Hell, hey, what the hell are you trying to get across? What here? am I trying to get across? God damn it. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that um, and I'm, I may have a bunch of people out there already looking at looking at their podcast going, well, fuck yeah, Brett, duh. But I don't believe you can have an epic game that starts at first level. Let's just use D&D parlance here. So you go first level and then you hold things wrapped up by 10th level and you save the entire multiverse. Good for you. Yeah. You don't have to have the mythic components of it. No. So, so cool. I think so. I want to push that to the side. For the record, I agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. So high level gaming, when I'm talking about big points, um, in an F20 world again, you know, 15th to 20th or 30th level, just insane. I had a buddy of mine back in my hometown when he would play AD&D first ed, he wasn't having fun until you would start a character at 10th level. He's like, make a 10th level character. Here's a bunch of magic items you guys can split up amongst a party. It won't be any fun until you get to 15th or 18th level. I'm like, holy shit, dude. Is it he- wasn't an epic level adventure. It wasn't an epic level story. It was like a huge fucking death trap dungeon he wanted to send us in. But it was just high-level games. All Everything was high-level. Had well, to be big. Why? Big power. Why? Is it because of the wondrous thing? Because, you know, there are things that don't happen in certain games until you're really high. I mean, it's like some people like having the cursed item or the really weird rod or wand that does crazy crap. And you're, you're putting a big kibosh down on, on huge I think that's things. where John – I think my buddy John was coming at was um, looking at it saying all these great artifacts and things right. are in that – no one gets the rod of seven parts. No one has the five spheres of annihilation or all these iron stones and crazy ass shit. Because when you read it, it's it, it's insane the stuff that's out there in the first Ed books. So he's like, I want to play with all of that stuff. So he see seed it, saw it as like an untapped component. He wanted to see what that stuff did in play. So you would go through an adventure, and. You'd end up with, you know, there'd be three decks of many things in the party. There'd be one or two spheres of annihilation. Somebody would have Axe of the Dwarvish Lords. There'd be the Maul of the Titans. The group had all this crap. And you'd have 20th level mages, illusionists, 15th level assassins. See, a lot of that shit cheapens the game to me. See, that's that's It's kind of like, I know this is kind of a weird analogy, but it's kind of like uh, piracy. Like if you people, like if people. If you people. If you, pe- if you people. Nice. If you download shit for free and you pirate it, it doesn't have any value to you. But if you pay 50 bucks for a rule book, the, that has value to you because you spent money on it. So that's why it kind of gets wacky when these like bundle of holdings come around and you're like, oh, bundle of holding? Yeah, I'll just chip in 12 bucks for seven, eight, 10, 12 books that I'm never going to read. $200 for the books. Yeah, that I'm never going to read. But if I go to the game store and I spend 100 bucks on a book, you're damn right. I'm going to like take it home and start freaking parsing through it. And I think even Gamma, who is the what is it the gaming association merchandising so whatever the gamma trade show that happens when they do uh seminars i had heard this to game stores they talk about not discounting your stuff too much because then gamers don't value the product and it, it devaluates it anyways that's a whole nother debate regardless mm-hmm. when you're doing that uh, you know high level stuff and you're giving everybody out so monty hall and maybe mm-hmm. and maybe it's not monty hall to that extent because monty hall to me is like dishing out like all kinds of crazy shit at once. But even just getting to the point where everybody has like a plus five Holy Avenger, then it's not a big deal. You might as well be playing first level with everybody with a plus one sword. Like it scales, the scale slope curve is the same. Exactly. So it's kind of like, 
um, John Wick has said this about like World of Warcraft, where people go, "Well, it's not really fun until your 30th level." Then why don't you? Why, why don't they just start you at 30th level? What's the fucking point? Because it wouldn't be grind? fun then. It wouldn't be fun then until you hit 100 level. Exactly. Uh, so it's, like just, fucking, it's an artificial. Yeah, it's, there's no winning in that situation. <laughs> Jesus no, Christ. So the the problem I have, I guess, in my experience with dealing with high level gaming, is that if I took the Immortals box set from the Frank Mensner um, box series of Basic D and D. I did not – when I, my friends and I would play that regularly, we worked our characters from basic, expert, companion to masters. And then we changed up and went to uh, first ed. <laughs> and a friend of mine had the Immortals box set. We read it and we're like, oh, let's try that. But it was all let's make new characters just so we can try this thing. When you come in for high-level gaming, in my opinion, the only way to really have fun with it is almost – you kind of have to start to have – the fun with it to me is it almost has to start as an epic storyline with high level gaming as an arc in it or a piece of it where you if Sean and I are playing and I haven't battled with you from first, second, third, you lost a character, I lost a character, we're together, we've got this, we have all the backstory and I've got the plus five Holy Avenger, you've got them all, the Titans, we've got a dude with the axe, the Dwarvish Lords, the mage has a, you know, what the fuck ever. By the time we're at 20th level, we're bonded, we're together, and we're slinging big-ass spells. We're fighting Trasks, you know, left and right. We're taking on Orcus's hordes or whatever it is. Then it's cool, but every time people have told me, hey, I want to play in a high-level game, so make characters that start at 10th level, I have no fun. Making a character that starts off at a point level in a generic system can be a little bit different because everybody's starting off at that. But even then you've got so much background and history and stuff that I, that isn't developed at the table, isn't developed in the story right away, or I shouldn't say right away, but over time, it isn't developed over time at the table between me and the players or me and my fellow players. So to jump in and say, Hey, I'm a 12th level paladin. Yeah, whatever. It's a throwaway character to me. It's the journey, man. That's what, that's what people like the 10th level people that want to start out really high and kind of do their thing. There's no journey there. There's no journey from first to tenth. You don't go through any uh, heart hardships. You don't learn shit. Now, granted, a lot of people get tired of that because this is what I truly believe. I think a lot of people don't want to start at first or second level or first level and get to tenth because what happens is not a lot of people get to tenth. And I'll clarify that. It's either because the game fizzles out, which is probably, I don't know, 50, 40% of the time. And I'm saying 40 to 50% of the time that when things don't get to 10th level, yes, 50% of the time or more is because the game fizzles or somebody drops off. So what happens is you always, you're always tending, if you, you play games and that fizzles out, you're always kind of starting new games. Like you're, you're starting a new one, Brett. Uh, you've started a few different ones. Yep. Everybody, if you, you keep doing that, you're always going to start at first. So you're the amount of times that you start out at first, second, third, fourth are much, much more than when you get to 10th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 20th. So I think then they, they kind of get like, you know, yeah. So yeah, yeah, there, that's, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) If I look back at my friends in high school, my buddy John, who used to run that the, the insane fifteenth plus level AD and D type of stuff, or he would run shit like fifteen hundred point GURPS characters, or fucking Jesus insane, Christ, man, it was crazy. He loved that shit, just loved it. He's playing the wrong um, game. Basically, <laughs> like Exalted, I think, is kind of kooky, yeah, it, crazy. Or, or play it, you know, play it. Well, we were playing superhero games, so it was like crazy points. But oh man. Anyway, he. How do I do it? Because at a certain point especially with high school groups and stuff growing up, is you'd go, oh, I got to start first level again. Fine, I'll fight 52 kobolds, then some goblins. Oh, fight some orcs again. And it felt scripted because, quite frankly, back in that time, it probably was scripted. So you're like, can I just fucking skip the script because I could write it down for you, dude. You looked your DM in the eye and said, dude, I know where this is going. And then it's going to burn out by the time we get ninth level. Could we please just skip that shit and go right fucking and, and the 10th level? I do admit to some of that. Like, you know, killing goblins and orcs and shit like that gets pretty freaking repetitive through one through four levels. I totally Again. get it. I totally get it. But you don't, have to, you don't have to run, run it like that, though. Put no, some you don't. crazy that, that's shit why, in there. That's why you've got to change it up. And that's why games like DCC are cool. They take those those low levels and spin them a little bit. Well, they make they make a different angle. The monsters in DCC are all supposed to be shit. You can't figure out what the hell they are. That's what makes them so scary. 
So when you come Absolutely. across guys with like two arms, two legs, but their heads are all different, like one's a head of a snake, one's a head of a cow, one's a head of a tiger and a lion, all of a sudden they're coming after you. You're like, what the hell? There's nothing in the monster manual that's going to tell you what the hell they're going to mess you up with. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. But it's first level. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to run into those guys at 10th. No, you don't. <laughs> so, I mean, so even if we take like the balance perspective, again, we don't necessarily want to argue that right now. But I, I get where if you like high-level gaming, where you're like, look, I really want to run – I want to run a Mythic Pathfinder game. I bought the Mythic book. I've always wanted to do this, but nobody has the time, same me included, to get Sean and the guys up to 15th level and Pathfinder before I want to flip them to Mythic. So why don't we just start off as Mythic and go with it? And what happens to me – and I, I'm seriously curious what anybody out there, uh, any listeners might think about this, is that I, it's cheap to me. I'm like, okay, so I, I came in as Superman. Okay, I'm fucking Superman. There's no – whatever backstory I wrote up, it doesn't – I didn't earn this 15th level as a player. I feel like it was just handed to me and I didn't earn it. There's no backstory. There's no time in chair. You know, it, it just it, – it's cheap. It definitely feels cheap to me and I, and I don't like it. I also don't think it's a lot of fun to, uh, I, well, just I'm not having fun when I do that. Well, shit, man. There you go. Then fuck it. I'm not doing that then. <laughs> I, what the hell are we talking about this crap? <laughs> don't do it, Brett. Hey, don't right, don't jump off the ledge, man. It's all good. Just don't do it. Brett, <coughs> come on, man. It's okay. But even if you, <clears throat> excuse me, even if you take games that aren't um, necessarily level-based, um, you're, well, I guess every game has a climb of some sort, right? Every game has a way to get a little bit better. And I think I could probably dig through my collection and find something that's not climb-driven. But well, you gain experience a, points, you gain stuff. It's a different it, – I mean, even Dungeon World, you might get – it's not the same. It's just – there's ones that are just not the same as a, as like your typical D&D level-based. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you'll get you'll – get there's a reward system in a lot of them. Unless you're playing so, a story-based game, usually it's, there's going to be some type of reward system. Well, there's there's usually in some heavy story-based games, there's story-based rewards. You get chips or points or whatever, or even in Hill Folk or whatever. There's stuff you get to help you do things. So <clears throat> I think, I guess where I'm going with all this is when I hear or I see people online or I've heard people in gaming stores or conventions saying, oh, it's it's epic gaming. That means we're at 12th level or that means – I want – Dude, I would there's like a difference to, 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 yeah, to, There's to a difference between the, epic and high level apparently with you. Yeah, there is. And I think that's I think it's the right way to look at it because you can have this incredibly cool epic storyline which could be a lot of fun and you're going through you're saving the kingdom and whatever and you can do all that stuff which stops the low level boredom that we just talked about, right? <clears throat> if you're doing that, you can be first, second, third, fifth level and doing some really, really cool shit. You're not just fighting goblins. You're not just checking for traps with a 10-foot pole. You're doing some other cool stuff, and it's fun, and you're climbing your way up the ladder, but that doesn't really matter so much because it's all this, the story is happening, and you know I'm, I'm doing this cool thing. That is more, to me anyway, more what um, more what fun looks like to me than saying, well, you know, I, I just as long as I get to 15th level and I've got the Wand of Orcus or what the fuck ever, five mythic points or whatever, I... I that doesn't the level the level of it or the number of points my character has is a um, it's a happy coincidence to the uh, to the epic storyline. That's how I see it, and it seems like you agree with me. So maybe we're just talking about nothing here. Well, yeah, whatever, <laughs> dude. I do think that if you want to do if you want to do epic. Ah, I know I'm going to get my ass in trouble for this, but I think if you do epic, high level comes with the territory. Well, eventually, well, you don't have to do it out of the gate. I mean, you could do first level and everybody's heroes and blah, 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 and everything's like the same. But I mean, it, at the same time, then kind of what's the point of being 15th level if you're doing all the same shit from first? The only difference is the monsters are much more powerful and you have more powerful gear. One of the things that stops ah, drives me one crazy. Thing, well, one of the things that stops me from some of the higher level components is that, and maybe Five E will change this, but and actually, First Ed wasn't too bad. But as some of the games got crunchier and crunchier, I'm looking at you, Pathfinder. Is that at a certain level, it's too much fucking work? Tried Fourth Ed. I heard is crazy nutty. Is it? Yeah. I, I mean, I and as I've said before on this podcast, I hand wave the living fuck out of my games when I need to to speed things up. But even then, at a certain point, 
12th level Pathfinder characters, it takes for god awful long to run a combat and all the different components and shit on your character sheet. It's just, it becomes this unwieldy thing, which to me is then, okay, I set that game aside. Like, look, I want to be able to run somebody with a higher power level for this epic climb, but I want it to be a manageable system. So that's where some, not game balance, but where the system usability for me kicks into play is that if I really want to do high level game, I'm pretty picky on the system I want to utilize for it because I don't want to have to hand wave the living fuck out of everything all the time just so that I don't have to spend four hours running a combat. 5e does a a good gradual climb because it doesn't give you you a butt ton of stuff every level or every four levels. And I say butt ton, I mean just that. You're not getting a feat every other level and you're not... It's just, it's gradual. You don't need all the crap. I mean, to level a guy in Pathfinder, it drove me crazy because I would never write down all the stuff I would have to do. Because I was just like, okay, I'm next level, you know, change my saves maybe, and this and this and that. But I didn't want to go into all the other crap that I needed to adjust. 5e, I mean, I think I've leveled twice. Well, I think I might be fourth level now. And it's so easy. It's like, oh, my hit points went up. (coughs) Oh, I get an extra ability bump. And then I that look was at one my, my class, and then I'm that done. That was one of the draws for me to pull Osric back out, the old First Ed, uh, reorganized, is because it was faster <clears throat> for my kids when we would level up. And they, oh, all I have to do is look at this chart. Great, I can write that down on my sheet. It was pretty quick. Yeah. So when you play a basic role-playing, which is what Call of Cthulhu is based on, um, those, you, you don't level up per se. You get like skill checks you can check against and so on, but it's fast. Bam, bam, bam. You either checked it, you see if you get it, and up you go or move on. And even in GURPS, you get X number of points, which translate directly into character points. Same with the old, um, or even the World of Darkness system by White Wolf or Onyx Path, if that's, I believe that's who they are now. It's a similar type of thing, where you get points, and you just dump them in your character, and you either have enough to buy a new power, and then you read the power, great, I have the thing, and I'm off. It's pretty simple. Well, and one thing about that we didn't touch on was, if you, you, if you wanted to start out at first level, um, first level, and you got something... And you don't know what it is. I mean, okay, first level, you get an artifact, but you don't know how to wield it. And maybe people are coming to get it, or you it doesn't come to power until over time, or when the stars align, or on the fifth yes. anniversary yep. of the gods rising in the summer solstice, blah, 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 blah. And then right. all of a sudden, this thing is this big deal, and maybe you're still second level. Or then, when it happens, maybe you're 10th. But it doesn't have to be this big epic thing where... You know, uh, so you could get a sword, and maybe it's not a plus five sword. I think they did this in, um, they did it in one of the latter splat books of 3.5 before 4.0 was released. And I want to had to, I want to say what happened to do with the weapons, um, the weapons book, and I can't remember what the hell it was called. But I think they tested that out on if, uh, you get a weapon and you can make it your own, like an ancestral weapon. But as you grow in level, the power of the weapon grows as well. Oh, okay. Right? So when so you're King Arthur, yeah, when you're King Arthur in your first or second level and you maybe have Excalibur, maybe it's not that big a deal. But when you're 10th level, that sword's going to freaking chop off a lot of heads and it's going to hit a lot of the times and it's going to kill whatever it hits. So I think there's like even just that kind of um, that curve that can occur as well, that where you can get bigger stuff, they just doesn't get it gets bigger as you get bigger. So if you take a game like a um, like Knights Black Agents, right, and you're fighting vampires, you're Jason Bourne kicking the fuck out of vampires, uh-huh. and you can you can epic that where the vampire cons- the vampiric conspiracy is such that it's going to nuke a country. It's big. It's going to do a thing. If I don't stop this, <clears throat> all of Europe or all of England or London, you're saving and tons and tons. You're stopping human trafficking. You're stopping something horrible, excuse me, by defeating the vampires. So that the story curve is really cool and epic. And that's a game when you don't necessarily have magic items, right? You don't get that type of gear. However, you get intel. You get intel and clues and you earn contacts. And those things help for that swag where you're building up a, a store of stuff. You end up with somebody you know who has an APC you can get when you need to finally crash into that bank. Or you you made a contact with a guy who has an airplane and he can get you from here to Belgrade on time or, or whatever it is. So there's ways in 
the way I run them anyway, and, and, and I think other guys like, like Phil and other folks who are running Knights Black Agents or that type of investigative game, even Call of Cthulhu, when you get an item or something, it's not necessarily um, a magic item, but it's something that you build off of. You know, I have this now, and I find new ways to use it, and as the game master, I help that. I use it as a hook so that they can get farther along the plot because that's the cool part. Maybe I'm you know showing my colors here as a story guy, but the point is that if you end up with a plus five Holy Avenger, <laughs> if it was just a random roll on a treasure table, okay, if that's if that's how you're doing your treasure, I guess. But for me, you get stuff like like you're saying a, a magic item that you figure out over time. I gave um, Zeev's character the, uh, the the sociopathic homicidal druid ended up with this puzzle box that had different faces, like a green man of a forest god on it. If you ever figured out how to use it properly, which would have taken a very, very long time, I figured he couldn't do it until he had achieved a certain power level. He could have called forward the Wild Hunt, which is this nasty freaking thing. I mean, just you know, Wikipedia with Wild Hunt. It shows up and it just lays waste to evil and so on. So he would then, you know, he, he basically ends up becoming the master of the Wild Hunt later on. It's this crazy kookiness I can go into a different day. But the point is, is he had this item and it was used to build the story as his character went forward, something he could build on and get stronger and better. And then at the right time, X happened because he uh, implemented the tool and then off he went. And I think you can do the same type of thing. God, I'm rambling here. But in a Knights Black Agents game where, again, you've built contacts or found data or whatever it is that helps you punch that story along a little bit farther. Like, oh, my God, this vampire conspiracy is not just two vampires in the Ukraine trying to kill us. It's two fucking vampires. We're trying to snuff us because the data we have shows that these bastards are in charge of the Silk Road or they're in charge of the human trafficking between London and Washington, D.C. Holy shit. You know, this is much bigger than we thought it was. And that that takes those games and jacks them into an epic, epic play. And you don't necessarily in in gumshoe ever get to be, you know, 20th level. That's that doesn't exist there. But you do it differently in those type of systems to get epic style gaming where you don't have the power curve, at least from a level perspective. Huh. Well, there you have it, man. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna shot all I had there on that one. <laughs> Are you playing epic? Do you play high level? Do you know the difference between the two? If you do not, or you do, you wanna let us know. Email GamingNBS at gmail.com. Look us up on Twitter, Facebook. Where else? The Google Pluses. Google Pluses. Yeah, we're all yeah, over the place. We're always out there. Ubitubes. Ubitubes, yes. Ubitubes. All right. Uh, so have, we, have, we, have we beaten that thing down? I think we've hit it. Let's die roll, man. Freaking let's die roll. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you, listener, fan, BSer. If you are listening to our show, you are an official BSer. Absolutely. So we want to hear from you. Call us at 929-BIG-DICE and tell us your name and say that you're a big BSer. <laughs> there we go. All right. So I've got three of them here. I want to, There is, I've got the link in the show notes, but there's an Ars Magica update. Atlas Games is talking about kind of <clears throat> the future of Ars Magica. It's been out for a long time. It's one of those games I own. The White Wolf version of it, and I understand that a lot of folks who are Osmaska fans have. I've been told that they view that as the worst edition, but I also have another one in a PDF form that I got a number of years back when um, Atlas Games was selling it at a, real, at a steep discount. But it's one of those kind of historically accurate, if you will, fantasy games. It's everything is built on the Middle Ages and how the church was viewed, and so on, and uh, and what. And whatnot, I guess. I don't have any better way to describe it right now. But it's one of those games I've always wanted to play, but I've never done. It's, it's kind of – it started the whole troop-style play. And uh, if you're into Ars Magica or you're interested in it, check that out. Just kind of see what they're doing with it. So link in the show notes. Go to Atlas Games and you'll find out. And uh, the other one, Mike Rigsby. I love you, brother. You uh, sent me my Hellboy brew. I now am drinking the right-handed red ale. Yeah. That has, uh, that has fueled my ranting on this podcast. Mr. Rigsby. So thank you, sir, very much. Mm. Damn, that's fine, oh, beer. fucking Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm saying that because Sean didn't get it. Ah, <laughs> great beer. That's good beer, Sean. Too bad you don't have any. <laughs> I'd share it with you, but I'm a dick. <laughs> 
hey, the other no, one yeah, is, number three. Hey, keep keep this moving. Let's go. <laughs> I uh, played the Dungeon Lords board game this weekend. I've got a link out there in the show notes to the to the Amazon site. Um, my buddy Alpha had it. And we had some time yesterday before Lenny's uh, World of Darkness game kicked off. So we got together and uh, played that. If you've ever played the old Dungeon Keeper video game, uh, that was a PC game, and I can't remember if it came out for anything else, but it's a lot like that. You, there were four of us. It's it's really cool for a four person game. A lot of different bits and pieces. It's kind of a uh, uh, resource management game. It's a ton of fun though. God, it was a blast. So it's fun. Check it out if you're into board games. Sean, you're up. Catchbox microphone. I love this thing, and it's geekery. It's not gaming, but I loved it because uh, I think Jason Morningstar went to a convention in like Finland or something and they were tossing this thing around. So it's Catchbox. It's got a microphone inside. And what you do when people ask questions, you throw it around the room. It's like like a big foam padding on it. Yeah. And I'm like, perfect. Then you put a D6 like cover around it. I'm like, so awesome. I saw you posted this on Google Plus. I'm like, that's a fucking D6, man. That's awesome. I'd get it for when I record stuff, but I'm like, it's, you know, for I think the pro, it's like 500 bones. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, oh, this would be cool. Oh, that would be cool. But, and one uh, of them, I think one of them comes without the mic. Because hmm. you use a lavalier mic and power pack. And I'm like, shit, man, that's never going to fly. I don't know. Well, well, I'm going to keep an eye on that one. Check it out. Right. I thought it was interesting. If you're doing any audio work, I thought it would be pretty cool. Uh, number two, Tabletop Generation. Looks like it's still under development. Tabletop Generation's a gaming community where all parts of the industry come together. A place where a game designer can find the right illustrator for their project. A place where a graphic designer can showcase their work to the right people. And a place where you can find the people you need for your project. It's all about board games, helping each other, and making it happen. Tabletop Generation. So right now, I think it's very, yeah, like I said, it's in development. I don't think half the links work. You can sign up for the beta. But if you are interested in doing this, um, you know, kind of kind of as a resource, I thought it was kind of neat. Uh, Ryan Northcott, uh, Northcott on Google Plus had put it on there. And I'm like, hey, dude, are you? is this yours? And he's like, no, I just signed up for the beta. Um, but, yeah, check it out. Very cool. Petition for the Sega Dreamcast Limited Edition console. Brett, what? Brett, did you ever have a Sega Dreamcast? No. Did you ever want one? No. Do your kids ever want one? No. They should. They should. No, I'm kidding. I I, uh, I think a friend of mine had one. I was never a huge console gamer. It just wasn't a thing. The Gen- that was in my house. The Genesis is the is a big like a big dollar item on I think eBay. Really? Yeah. Like all the other stuff, like all the Nintendo systems and all that other stuff, you can get pretty you know affordable. But the Genesis is something that I know I mentioned Dreamcast, but I'm just going on the Genesis. There's a demand on it. I thought I saw a list of like the top ten old toys or something that gets really. Big, the and big this bucks. is that's one of them. Well, Genesis was, but the Dreamcast I had never owned. But this is one that they're trying to bring back, where it would be in high def, and it would be no cartridges or something. It would be in the console. I, I found it on G Plus. Yeah, check it out if you're a console gamer. Check it out. Another one, Sirenscape, is a revolutionary sound design app that adds evocative ambient background sound and a movie-like soundtrack to your tabletop gaming experience. Check it out at Sirenscape.com. Is this what you're using in our Roll20 game, or is this something totally different? No, Roll20's got its own there, Chief. Does it? Yeah. All right. Shows my ignorance on that system. Cool, though. We'll check out Sirenscape. Yeah, Sirenscape. Um, Now, with something that Brett does not know is Black Cat Systems is what I use for the show. Oh, Black Cat. You mentioned that before. Black That's Cat right. Systems. Black Cat Systems. And that has, oh, what's the name of the app? I should, I'm about to pop out of here. It's uh, Soundbite by Black Cat Systems. So Soundbite is kind of cool because it's just a grid and you can change the size of the cells so you can have more boxes on your screen and that's what i use to do all the effects for the show and i was telling brett this thing this app would be kind of cool because you could you could do pages of the grids so i have a page of gaming and bs and on that is a three by one two three four five six seven eight nine nine so that's 27 boxes on one screen and i can program all the sounds to these boxes i could change the box color um so i have all our like 
transitions um, blue and some of the intro outro is green. But if you wanted to use this uh, as a sound backdrop for your pro playing games, um, this I believe is available. The one I'm talking about, which is not part of the um, one of my 2D4 points, but if you get Soundbite from Black Cat Systems and you put it on a tablet or a I think it's even on your phone. Put some sounds in there, hook a couple of speakers to it, and you're Boom. good to go. I mean, nice. it's like, hey, okay, you guys, bad weather. Boop, you hit a button and it just plays well, bad you, after, weather. I've, uh, I've never been a big, I've never been able to pull off the whole sound in my games. I've always wanted to. And then after playing Roll20 with you two weeks ago, we're gonna we're playing again this Friday. I'm looking forward to it. Having the Roll20 thing, be. and then with the, when it, Simple thing. It was raining. And you had the little rain sound effect on the background. That was cool. It's yeah. a, it's a neat ambient thing, especially when you're distant for roll twenty. It was really cool to hear the sound because um, I'm at my desk with headphones on, talking into a mic. It's even less personal than being at the table together. But the sound helped kind of get past that even further. I liked it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Now with Sirenscape, you buy it and then you buy like bits. And then you can buy packages of bits. So if you wanted something, and a lot of it's like Pathfinder, Pathfinder oriented. I'm not sure if they license something or to go along with Adventure Pass. But if you get it, it comes with the sounds. The sound, cool. the Soundbite app that I'm talking about by Black Cat, you have to put all the sounds on your device and map the sounds to each button. It's very easy to use, though. And the nice thing is it's just a big button. So you could say, hey, rain, click. You know, you could have like a, you know, anything that's weather could be colored blue. So it's like rain, storming, uh, sunshine, birds, whatever. And then you go into combat and like all your combats are red or something. And you got sword fighting, dynamic music, whatever it is. So it's kind of cool and it's very easy to set up once you do it. And it doesn't have to get in the way because you're just hitting buttons. And since I have this app up it doesn't close my ipad doesn't go to sleep it's always up now your battery my battery will drain but if you plug it in you're fine so if i wanted to do something like i don't know uh my ipad's got 10 hour battery wayne wayne's got wayne's got something to say i don't know Chupa Nupa. It's all you know, that's all these guys shut up. All right. Um, yeah, that's it. So there's my four. Add, additional one. I actually had five in there, but what are you gonna do? Nice. Yeah. So Another episode of Gaming and BS is all wrapped up. Thanks for joining in. If you find this show great or even marginally okay, leave us an iTunes a review on iTunes or leave us a comment in the show notes. This will be at Gaming and BS episode forward slash zero thirty six. Yeah, what'd you think, Brett? Not too bad. I like this one. Yeah, which means which means it sucks. But hey, <laughs> Brett's I had fun. I like his this. own I like worst this. critic. I am. I absolutely am. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week when we bring you episode 37. Totally. All right. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.